Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, again, welcome to Grave Top Church. Uh, I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. And uh, we are officially ending our series, which is By Grace. And this has been a really fun series, right? And we've had a, a really great feedback. And today specifically, I think that it's a perfect timing. Right after Thanksgiving, we're going to be talking about gratefulness. How grateful, how grateful. Can someone look at one of your neighbors and say, how grateful, how grateful. Yeah, got some spaces in between the chairs. Yeah, <laughs> how grateful. And the idea of gratefulness, I feel like uh, not... I don't think anyone looks at themselves and thinks, I'm an ungrateful person, right? But gratefulness is much more than a positive outlook. It, it's actually a command and tool that God has given us while in this world. Gratefulness is a command and a tool, and you can use it to battle against even things like depression and poverty. You can cling to gratefulness in the moments that you feel hopeless and confused. And today, I really hope that this message inspires you to take the attitude, of great, uh, the attitude of gratitude more seriously and that it encourages you to seek, the, uh, seek gratitude in the moments that it doesn't come naturally. Most of all, I hope that this message leads you into a fresh peace within your life and that through the power of gratefulness that I, I really want to challenge you with a change of perspective and how you see yourself. I remember uh, a moment that I, I didn't necessarily think at the time of being an example of gratefulness um, was when I had got fired from this job. Uh, not this job, but I got fired from a job. And I remember uh, at the time I was praying for God to show me whether or not I needed to stay at this job or, uh, or go to another job or to do something else. And in the midst of me praying about this job, they called me and, and let me go. And it was right in the height of the pandemic. So like a lot of people were kind of getting fired left and right. And so I remember uh, at the time though, they, they told me that uh, like a length of time in the sense of not necessarily technically a severance, but they gave me a period to kind of like get things in order to where it wasn't just like a cold fire um, and I remember I, I was just, I expressed, like simply, uh, I expressed this, this gratefulness. I said, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for firing me. <laughs> for, for me, my perspective was this is an answered prayer. And in the, the little severance period, I was, I was so grateful because I didn't, I didn't see that I deserved it. You know, feel what I'm saying? I mean, if you've ever been fired before, you don't, you don't necessarily expect that two-week grace period, like when you put your, when you're about to quit somewhere. And so I, I was really grateful, and, and that, that relationship I have with that organization remained healthy and, and vibrant. And in fact, even just in that conversation, they started thanking me for just appreciating them and the process of firing me. <laughs> See, that it, getting fired is never a pleasant experience, right? It's, we never look at it as something, uh, uh, as an answered prayer, <laughs> but it, it was something so... Uh, in a sense, negative that I was truly, genuinely grateful for because I, I felt like it gave me clarity of what I was going to do next. It was all about like my perspective. Y'all dig what I'm saying? 
And they actually told me that they, they just got off the phone with someone else that they had to let go and how they were super pissed <laughs> and that they, they let them have it and that they just uh, told them how, how disrespected they were. And you're only going to give me this much for all that I've given you. And see, there's a, there's a completely different, uh, there's a complete difference in the way that we handled the same news. We got the same treatment, but we handled it completely differently. And there was redemption for me and not really redemption for the other story. And it was all centered around this idea of gratefulness. The other person felt like they deserved more. I felt like I didn't deserve what they had given me. And it's all about this attitude. And to illustrate this point further, I want to share a very popular story in Scripture. It's the prodigal son. And I feel like this is a perfect story to exemplify a teaching about gratefulness. And it says, uh, starting in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Everyone just understand what he, he asked? Saying, I want my inheritance now Instead of me having to wait for you to die, I want you to give me my inheritance now. Give me, give me, a, give me the money that's, that will be owed to me upon your death now. I want to get out of here. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever had experiences with, like, say, raising kids or teenagers. But in my experience, if I were to be spoken to in that way, <laughs> I don't think my first reaction would be like, well, here you go, son. <laughs> You're going to just have to learn on your own. Hopefully you come back. I feel like my natural reaction would be like a backhand or, <laughs> you know, some, some choice words. Maybe like, you know, I don't know, like a get the hell out or something, you know, something just completely appropriate given the circumstances. But it says in this story, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later... This younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money and wild living. And, and the, I want us to understand this, this. It shows that the son's heart was completely set on self. He wanted to move, move out. He wanted to get as far away from his family as possible. And... He, he spent all of his money on wild living. So he pretty much went to college, right? <laughs> and it goes on to say, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. So he's trying to pay back his student loans. <laughs> Gets a, gets a job at, you know, the first place I will hire them. And it's equivalent to the idea of feeding pigs or like, you know, us as consumers, just feeding people as they're going by, right? And, it ends, and this part ends by saying the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So I want us to pause here and I want us to really unpack this man's heart and his attitude. And we're going to start off by the idea 
of in order to find gratefulness within our heart, we have to realize that we're undeserving. We're undeserving. Entitlement is the opposite of gratefulness. Entitlement is the opposite of gratefulness. Believing that something is owed to you steals the opportunity for you to be grateful for it. Uh, for it. Believing that something is owed to you steals the opportunity for you to be grateful for it. And I think that the foundational difference between feeling owed and feeling blessed is pride versus humility. See, I, I really, I think that um, the other day, me and my wife were talking, and we went through this drive-through, and we got like horrible customer service. Y'all get bad customer service? And I realized, I was just like, I guess we're just getting older. Because <laughs> I, I, I remember when I was a kid and hearing older people always say comments like that, like, customer service isn't what it used to be. No, no one knows how to work anymore. And, and I was, I was kind of like confused, like, is this just like a part of getting older? Like you just have this moment of realization that, that like people suck or have we been on this like constant decline? Is it like, is it that much worse than it was for like our, the generation before us? Is it just been that much worse than where like even now we're realizing it? And the, I think the number one tone in, in our culture is that we, there's a strong sense of a strong sense of entitlement. And when we feel like we are owed something, when we feel like it's owed to us, it makes it incredibly difficult to be grateful for it. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And I think that the, the same train of thought can also lead to the ideas of feeling self-pity and the feeling of helplessness. Because we have this perception that the world owes us. That the world owes us. We, we, we get a job somewhere and we feel like our bosses owe us. You're lucky I'm even here. See, we have this, this strong sense of entitlement to where we, wouldn't we would never say it, but we behave in a way that says, bow down to me. And whenever things don't go our way, it, it, when we have that entitlement mentality, it very quickly turns into self-pity. Self-pity. It, it very quickly turns into feelings of helplessness because it wasn't something that you earned. It was something that was already owed to you. Y'all feel that? And there's nothing wrong. I want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with recognizing hardship. That's not what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with recognizing hardship in your life, but self-pity and entitlement will demotivate you from getting past that struggle. Self-pity demotivates you from being able to get past that struggle because you stay in the place as well as me. And the thing that keeps us there, that will keep us there longer, everyone has pity parties, okay? I'll bring some streamers to my own pity party. Okay, balloons and everything. I'll even invite my wife and she'll stay for a minute, <laughs> but not very long. It's a party of one. <laughs> but see, when what keeps us there is those thoughts and those feelings of, is like, 
Woe is me. It shouldn't be like this. I, I deserve more. I deserve. I deserve. I should have more. It sh- this shouldn't have happened to me. And I think that we have to really break that, that way of thinking because the Bible shows that the world is, is truly against us. That there's a prince of this world called the devil, and his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. So his mission is not just to set sights on you. You're not the only person going through struggles. Everybody goes through struggles, some more than others. But the moment that we start thinking that we're the only ones, we lose our motivation to get out of that struggle. We lose our motivation to get out of that pain. And I think that the epitome of entitlement can be seen in people's unrealized privilege unrealized privilege and I remember uh, when you when you realize that nothing is owed to you you're able to see that we all have privileges that others don't often realize they have every person has a privilege every person has privileges that others don't have I, I remember uh, recently when uh, there's this new like bank loan system that came out. It is actually how I found out I was Hispanic because there's mortgage <laughs> loans. <laughs> there's mortgage loans that were only available for minorities. I was like, well, let me check. <laughs> and, and white people were really pissed about this. And I'm no longer white now. So I was like, <laughs> like that's not right, guys. But... <laughs> See, this is a moment where minorities had a privilege for something that white people did not have. And white people were saying, and I'm not saying all white people, I'm making a general term, right? There's certain white people online that were like, well, this isn't right to not allow someone to have a loan just because of their skin color. And all of the Hispanic and black people were like, I know, right? Because of the past. See, the, it's all this idea about privilege and this perception of privilege right now in our culture is so fixated on race. I, me and my friend, we had a, a, a one, my best friend, his name's Harry. He's a black guy that lives in Wisconsin and we talk frequently and especially when like culture, uh, a culture division was very high. We have very different views on certain things, but we're best friends and I remember he, again, at the time I was white, but now I'm Hispanic, so it's okay. But <laughs> see, at the, at the time he was perpetuating that I had unrealized privilege being white. And, and there's this big, we had this, this long, long conversation about what privilege was. Because the more that we talked about it, the more that we, we both agreed that he had experienced more privileges than I had. And so there's this moment where he, he recognized privilege that he'd experienced, even though the, the label of what the culture was saying said otherwise. For me, I, I've experienced, like, me and Nellie were talking about this the other day, I've experienced, like, little bits of, uh, bits of like, racism here and there for being, uh, for at the time, being white. Being in a border town... And it is it being in, I often was in places where it was like the minority was the majority. 
I, and even though I experienced bits of racism, I never f experienced racism from an authority figure. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so for me, that would be called a privilege that some people feel like they have not experienced that privilege. We, we could go across the board. It doesn't matter about race. It doesn't matter about ec even economic status. It doesn't matter about uh, anything. We all have privilege in some way. I, I want you to think about this. Have you ever experienced hunger? Like real hunger to where you didn't know how you were going to eat. If you've never experienced that, then you've, you have a privilege. If you've never worried when you were growing up, if you never worried about if your, one of your parents was going to come home that night, that's a privilege. It, it may seem normal, but there's a lot of people that, that experience that on a daily basis. If you've never worried about where you were going to sleep that night, then you've experienced privilege. These, and what I'm trying to get at is that it, every single one of us has a privilege that somebody else doesn't have. And if we were to understand that we are not owed any of these things, should we expect our parents to take care of us? It's like that's an expectation, right? And that's the way it ought to be. And yet there's so many who do not have that kind of treatment. And so in their eyes, someone who has healthy parents, it's a privilege. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so if we were to understand that it's not singled by any race, white people are not the only people that are privileged. It, there's privilege across all kinds of levels. And it's about understanding that no matter what the privilege we could perceive, if we were to change our mindset and our attitude to understand that we are not deserving of any kind of special treatment, that we are not owed anything in this world, that being born is a beautiful thing, but it does not automatically mean that everybody around you is, uh, owes something to you. Again, this is the reason I'm projecting this is because entitlement has demotivated an entire generation from being able to push through their own struggles, their own battles. And at the end of the day, we, we will be left, just like this man in this story, helpless with no one willing to help. It says that he, he was coveting the food he was feeding to the pigs, that he was that desperate and the verse ended by, and no one was willing to help him. This verse is setting us up to understand, believing that you were owed something is not going to last in your life. It simply will not. And the day that you realize that, the, that there are people that, you may, that may help you one day, they won't help you forever. Y'all feel that? Now, if we understand that to have an attitude of undeserving is a path of gratefulness. Let's look at the next point, which is selfless, being selfless. Coveting grows greed and selfishness. Coveting grows greed and selfishness. See, the path of greed and selfishness will always leave you alone and lacking. Do you all notice in the story that he was in 
uh, with his family at the beginning of the story. He, and at the end of the story, he is alone and no one willing to help him. And he's, com- he's lacking in almost every area of his life. When, when fed, the idea, is, the idea of coveting, when you feed coveting, when you feed greed, when you feed selfishness, these feelings will become insatiable as they dominate and destroy your relationships. Have you ever known a greedy person to where everyone knows they're greedy? <laughs> Their relationships don't look great. They, they, they do not have vibrant, beautiful relationships. Even the people closest to them have a stink eye towards them. They, they're not, their relationships are not pleasant. They are not life-giving. And what is it that is sucking the life out of those relationships? Their selfishness and their greed. Again, does anyone perceive themselves to be a selfish person, a greedy person? Nine times out of ten, I remember when we do cold witnessing, like I would go to like a LSU campus and ask random people if they thought they were going to go to heaven. And I was trying to lead them to Jesus. It's a long story. But I remember... Nine times out of ten, people would say, well, yeah, I'm a good person. See, we perceive ourselves to be just amazing people. No one perceives themselves as to be selfish or greedy. But how many times did you share a cookie with someone you broke it in half or a brownie? And you kept the bigger, the slightly bigger piece. Yeah. <laughs> just read your soul right now. <laughs> you thought, no one would know. God knew. <laughs> You took the bigger piece for yourself. It's just a little bit bigger. And then you, and you put, try to play it off, too. You're like, well, I mean, like, you could choose. And they're like, oh, it's whatever you think. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see all y'all. <laughs> see, I, I want to I share this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. It says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. This verse is telling us that this path will cause ruin and destruction in your life. It doesn't say being rich will lead you into temptation. It says Those who long to be rich. Look at what the next verse says. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, the Bible does not say that money is the root of many evils. It says that the love of money. What is that? Coveting. When we think about the Ten Commandments, how many, I mean, we think about like no lying, no stealing, no murder, right? But no one, no one thinks about no coveting. It says, do not covet. It's almost like, it's like the Sabbath, like, oh, it's not a big deal. (laughs) See, it puts coveting as a commandment, as this big warning sign, do not covet. 
What is coveting? It's the love of money. It is greed. It is selfishness. It is looking at something and desiring it for yourself. Now, don't get me wrong. The, the, the simple idea is like, I, oh, I would like to have that. That's not wrong. That's not what it's saying. It's saying when you long for it, when you just don't allow yourself to stop thinking about it, when you, when you want it so badly that you feel like it's owed to you. See, that's what coveting is. I deserve this. I deserve this. How many of us have bought something with the mindset of, I deserve this. <laughs> I've been good. <laughs> I work hard. I deserve it. See, it is all rooted in coveting. It's all rooted in entitlement. And this path is destructive. Now, the idea that love of money, the love of money, why do we see it as harmless? We never credit ourselves as falling victim to, to being a covetous, even though it is a deep trap. I mean, I think about how many times we as Christians, we constantly trade out the truths of God, the spiritual and powerful truths of God for vain materialistic fantasies. How many of y'all Maybe you've heard it during an offering call or something at church. How many of y'all have heard that verse that says that you give and it'll be given back to you 30, 60, and 100 fold? Yeah, y'all heard that? that you got to plant a seed in God's economy, in God's kingdom, and you will reap a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold. See, it's all about monetary blessings, vanity. That verse in scripture is talking about the gospel message that when you plant the gospel seed into a good soil, that it will reap a harvest 30, 16, a hundred fold. Man, what a much more powerful and spiritual interpretation of scripture than making it about money. And yet I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I've really heard preachers examine that verse to a church in that way it's always about money material vanity when he, and when you put it in context that makes a lot more sense doesn't it see the the word of god was planted in my heart and now i have brought others to christ it reaped a harvest 30 60 and 100 there's like 30 people here right we'll move to 60 and 100 <laughs> see it's a harvest and it's all about the gospel message that is what scripture but we traded it out for coveting we we've made church about this blessing bless me bless me bless me we've turned it into uh, covet uh, how can you make instead of christianity make it like covetianity that's what we've turned it into what about that verse have you ever heard of that verse that says that Give, and it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over and pouring into your lap. You ever heard that verse before? I've always heard that verse in an offering call or from that one song by Israel Hooten. <laughs> and it, blessed down, blessed, pressed down, shaken together, running over, overflowing for more. And, so can, and, and the whole idea is that God's going to just bless you that much. That you can just have too much that you, you can't even handle it. And I remember hearing so many preachings like right around the, for the offering girl, like you need to give, even if, even if it's all you got, give it and God's going to give back to you, press down, shaking together, running over. 
Empty your pockets right now. There's someone here that has $100. And God's telling you to give it right now. And he's going to give back to you. Press down, shaking together, running over. You know what that verse is talking about? It's talking about forgiveness. Man. It's talking about forgiveness. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it'll be given back unto you. I mean, it's talking about showing mercy to others that when you show mercy, mercy will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, pouring in your lap. Now, when you understand it that way, does that not make much more sense? See, when we show a little bit of mercy, God pours his mercy out on us. Much more than we deserve. And it's pressed down, shaken together, running over. His mercy, his forgiveness. We have traded the truth of God for a covetous lie. And we do it time and time again. And deep down, if we were to just go back to the heart of grace, understanding grace, if we want to go back to a heart of gratefulness, we must understand that gratefulness and generosity are the best ways to fight against our natural inclination for greed and selfishness. For greed and selfishness. Now, I want to I finish this, this story. Going back to the prodigal son, we just left off on how he doesn't got no food. He's barely got his job. Some of y'all are like, Kevin, you're like, that's, that's me right now. <laughs> And, and no one is willing to help him. No one feels bad for him. And then look what happens in this story. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, now when it says that he came back to his senses, that is Jesus' polite way of saying he had a reality check. <laughs> he had a humility check. He came to his senses, and it goes on to say that he's going to say to his father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You notice how his heart is changing here? It goes on to say, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned both against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. And put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. That's my favorite part where it says the party began. <laughs> See, Christianity is really about like learning how to party. <laughs> but like a heavenly way. This last point is we talked about learning how to be to the changing our mindset and that we're undeserving, changing our mindset to be selfless, changing our mindset to be thankful. Gratefulness is always possible with perspective, with a new perspective. 
Gratefulness is always possible with a new perspective. See, the first step in this son learning how to have a grateful heart was humility. Humility. And humility, it, it's, it's really a choice, right? It, the Bible describes that Jesus is this rock in our path and that we will either allow it to crush our hearts or we will fall on top of it and be broken. And it's this, this imagery that I feel like is very personified in humility. That humility is either going to crush you and you're going to just be humbled or you can choose to be humble. And he went from being, he went from wanting more, wanting more, wanting what he believed was owed to him to being content with what he had. He went from being wanting, feeling like he was owed that he wanted more to being content with what he had. He went from feeling entitled to feeling fortunate. The beginning of the story, he want what was owed to him. He was entitled. And by the end of the story, he's like, I was so lucky. I was so fortunate. And see, at the beginning of this, I talked about how we all have privilege. We all have unrealized privilege. It doesn't matter what race, it doesn't matter what age, it doesn't matter what kind of economic status. We all have privilege. And if we were to allow a fresh perspective, we could see that privilege. See, I, I remember when I would be working with in youth ministry and, and there's, there's different perspectives that minister, young ministers will have when it comes to student ministry. Like I, I would be, I was a, a, a director at Holmes High School and I would also volunteer at Brandeis High School. Now, if you are familiar with any of those schools, they're completely different economic status. Brandeis, kids often lived in houses Homes, kids often lived in apartments. And there's, this, there's a mentality that kids who lived in houses didn't have problems like the kids that lived in apartments. The reality is that they all had problems that looked different than one another. They all had problems. And what I found, even when it came to rich kids, that they would have this big chasm between them and their parents. And that even though the, some of the kids that were in poverty, they had a strong sense of family. See, the, the, the other kids never worried about whether or not they were going to eat or where they were going to sleep. But they, were, they felt completely isolated and alone. Other kids, though, that's a big trauma to, to, to not know if, you're gonna have, if your parents aren't going to have enough food that day but they never once felt like they were not loved. See, both experienced privilege. Both experienced privileges. They looked different from one another. I want us to understand that in this story, it, it doesn't matter what the prodigal son's life looked like at home. It doesn't describe what his home life was like. I would imagine that the fact that he wanted to leave, it shows that there is something there, that there was some type of dissension, some type of disagreement that he had within his family that made him want to leave. But by the end of this humbling experience, he realized that the, it was that, that perspective shift of realizing the things that I thought were bad don't can compare to really understanding 
the things that were truly good. Even though I didn't feel like I had this, I still had this. It, and I, I feel like even when it comes to, I've talked to a lot of people that, have been, uh, that were raised in church. I remember talking to this one pastor that he talked about how he was going to step down from church and not go to church for a while. And, and I was like, man, that's weird. <laughs> and he started telling me, well, you know, for us, me and my wife, we were raised in the church. And so, you know, we kind of realized that, like, maybe it would be good for us to step away for a while. Our whole lives we've been in the church. And I was like, yeah, you see that, that train of thought? But, man, you don't realize how fortunate you are because the rest of us were raised in darkness. <laughs> Being raised in the light, it can have its own struggles, but you don't realize how fortunate it is compared to being raised in darkness. We have unrealized privilege. We don't realize how fortunate we are. And for this man, his attitude changed to gratefulness, not only redeemed his own relationships. Think about this. The, his, all that happened was that he went from entitlement to grateful. Entitled to grateful. And that switch in his perspective, that switch in his heart, redeemed his relationships with his father, with his brother, with his family. It, that, that could preach all on its own. For, I mean, the, to see the power of redemption through gratefulness. And what else did it do? It redeemed his own potential. He went from literally being in a worthless situation, a hopeless situation, to where now he is restored in, in such a redemptive way. And the only thing that changed was his attitude of gratefulness. Humility is the perfect soil for redemption and, and potential to grow in our lives because it makes way for God to move on your behalf. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he embraces the humble. And that humility, that humility, it's that soil to see the power of God move in your life. We have a, a value that is never assume a result without adding the power of God to it first. Never assume a result without adding the power of God to it first. Even in this story, he thought he would be lucky if his father would just hire him on as a servant, that he could be dis a disowned son, not even counted as family. But with God's potential in this story, his, his expectations were completely exceeded. He, it, it was redeemed in such a greater way than what he would hope for. And it ends by saying, so the party began. So the party began. See, you are able to truly enjoy life once you surrender your heart to gratefulness. You, you can truly live in this. The party can begin in your own heart, in your own life, once you have that perspective shift to gratefulness. If you were to compare two people on opposite spectrums, one who felt that they were entitled and one who felt incredibly grateful. And if they were both in the exact same economic status, exact same families, exact same everything, but they just had those two different attitudes, which one do you think would be more vibrant and alive and happy in their life? The entitled person or the grateful person? Gratefulness has a natural reaction of joy. Inwardly, it truly feels like you go from death to life. This, this, this perspective of gratefulness, 
it's the same kind of process of humility. It's the same process in humility that reveals to us how much we need a Savior, how much we need Jesus in our life. It's the realization of God's kindness, His, His, undes- His undeserving affection towards us, like that of this father in the story. That when we come to God, He embraces us fully. He throws, it literally says that when one sinner repents, that all of heaven is full of joy, that all of heaven celebrates, that truly in heaven there's this giant party when just one of us come to Christ. This this kind of love, the Bible says in the book of Romans that it's his compassion for us in the moment that we have this this realization that we are undeserving of, of God's salvation, it's that compassion that can inspire you to have your own death to life moment by trusting in Jesus. So I want us to all take a moment to bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't think that anybody can have a moment in which they come to Christ, go to God without humility. If you go to God with a sense of entitlement, you you will leave empty. God does not respond to our pride. If you go to God with a feeling of being owed something in your life, you will leave with that feeling of emptiness. You'll feel like there hasn't been any change at all. When we want a genuine interaction with God, it requires humility, and it's the realization that the breath that we breathe is a gift. How much more everything else that we have in our lives, in our health, and where we live, whatever kind of shelter we have. So in the moments that if you've ever had to sleep outside, you realize how warm a home can be. If you've ever had to steal for food, you realize how good a ta- eating at a table can feel. See, humility, it's humility. When we come to God with humility and realizing that everything he gives in this world is a gift, that mercy is a completely different experience. And if you're here today, and if you've never had a moment where you've come to Jesus with that humble heart, that realization saying, I need you, and you want to do that today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. See your hand. See your hand. So just there to yourself, I want you to have a conversation with Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have a, an authentic conversation with him your, with yourself, that's all it takes to start this redemption story in your life. That's all it takes to start this relationship with him. Just like in this story, all the son did was start a conversation with his dad, the heart of humility, and his father embraced him. That is what it's like when you have this conversation with Jesus. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just talk to him yourself. Now, while they're doing that, for the rest of you, if you're here and you feel like this is a message that you needed to hear today, you feel like this inspiration within yourself of even just recognizing the the need for gratefulness in your life. 
You feel like God, God is, is trying to encourage you and remind you. And you just needed to hear this today. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray for the tangible presence of God to be upon your people and that you would exceed people's expectations and that you would cause them to see you in their life and experience your presence in a real way. And I pray, Lord, that you would just show up and that they would feel a sense of contentment and peace. I thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. With that being said, we're going to um, go into a time of worship. Bef but before that, we're going to sign off online. Um, thank you guys for being a part. Have a good life. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church. Top Church.